Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. A new report by Detroit Future City tells us some really interesting and, frankly, some really disturbing things about the city's middle class. Detroit, of course, is often referred to as the city that helped birth and expand the middle class through manufacturing jobs that made home ownership and other markers of opportunity available to people who had been locked out before. But the DFC report says today the vast majority of Detroiters live far from those opportunities. And unless we change course, more of the city will fall away from the stability and growth that will fuel its recovery. That's where we want to begin the conversation today, talking about the idea of expanding the middle class here in the city of Detroit. And I've got two great guests to help us illuminate that subject. Anika Goss is the executive director of Detroit Future City, which recently released this report that's titled Growing Detroit's African-American Middle Class. Anika, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me, Steve. Yes, always great to have you here. Also with us is Chase Cantrell. He is the founder and executive director of Building Community Value. Chase, welcome back to Detroit Today as well. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. So let's start, uh, Anika, with uh, what we what we find in this report. There were a lot of numbers in it. Uh, some of them blew my hair back just a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I think we all, uh, those of us who've been here in Detroit a long time or who, who grew up here, we know that things have changed and we know that, that poverty is more... Uh, more rampant than it has been and that the middle class has left the city. But but give us a thumbnail of what we learn in this report. Well, th- thanks a lot. What we, what we really wanted to convey in this report is to help people understand the history of Detroit's middle class and then the decline of Detroit's middle class. Um, and then really understand the nuances of what that means uh, for a city. And in doing that, it also demonstrates where we get stuck and how we haven't been able to grow or come back the way we want. Um, and I, we are of the belief at DFC that you have to really understand the problem before you have a solution for the problem. So what we know is that the majority of Detroiters, 75% of Detroiters, are making $50,000 or less. And uh, what we've identified as the middle class for Detroit is between uh, 80% and 200% of national median income. Mm -hmm. So that ends up being about $44,000 to $115,000 per year. Which seems low, mm-hmm. right? But a lot of people making that kind of money would probably not consider themselves. That's class, right, right, right. They were saying, "Well, wait a minute, I'm still struggling to make ends meet." Yeah. But we wanted to really start with that as a basis uh, to be able to understand where people are living right now, and then being able to compare that to the region and the United States, uh, which is what really gets us to some of the inequity. We also chose to focus on the African-American middle class Mm -hmm. uh, for this report. It's in the title of the report. Mm -hmm. We didn't want to shy away from it. And the reason we really wanted to do that is a couple of different reasons. One, Detroit is still a city of 80% African-Americans. But as I said earlier, it's a city of 80% African-Americans where the vast majority of them are living at either the low end of that middle class or very or or far below. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we really need to be able to think about how 
we can focus on a specific demographic. The second thing that we, the second reason that we wanted to focus on Detroit's African-American middle class is because it's the largest population to leave the city in the latter part of the 20th century. So there have been more African-Americans that have left the city than any other group. That alone identifies a clear connection back to the city, that this is a group that, the single group that's moved just to the suburbs has to move back. Yeah. So the third thing that we really want people to come away with is the opportunity. This isn't a negative report. We really try to write it in a way that focuses on opportunity and growth. And what we wanted to identify were these opportunities of place that in Detroit, there are, while there are only a few what we would describe as middle-class census tracts or neighborhoods, but there are many, a third of, of the city that fall into this near middle class uh, area of Detroit. And it's those places that uh, we really see as areas of opportunity. And, and when we talk about just how dramatically things have changed, there were some numbers in this report that really jumped out at me. Uh, when you talk about how much of the city is still middle class, um, 25%. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just a few decades ago, way, way, way more than that. Right. That's right. So we've lost right now, it was 54% of Detroit was middle class 20 years ago. 20 years ago. Yeah. Right. And now we're at 25%. So it's almost, a, right, it's nearly a 50% drop. Yeah. And I think but what really was most disconcerting for us was that the region, so the tri-county area, their middle class share is at about 33%, right? Which is on average with the nation, which averages around 38%. So Detroit falls behind both the region, which is our next door neighbors, Southfield, Warren, Macomb, a lot of your listeners Um, are right there in that region, Detroit is falling behind by nearly 10%. So for us, that is a really striking imbalance that we really need to focus on. Yeah. So Chase, uh, you work uh, in this space of trying to make sure that uh, the things that are going on in the city are equitable and fair, uh, that they include the people who are here uh, as much as they try to attract people from from other places. Talk about your reaction to the report, but also tell us how that makes you see your work either differently or maybe reinforces the way you see your work. Uh, uh, We are not doing what we should be doing to make sure that people have opportunity uh, in the city. This report kind of kind of confirms that, doesn't it? It it does. And I, I think one of the most striking things about the report is that you know, Detroit Future City makes clear that this isn't about just bringing in other people into the city. This is about growing the middle class from within, right? And if we think about the decline of the city over over decades, it's it's not just about flipping an economic switch, right? If we bring back our neighborhoods in terms of removing blight, in terms of rehabilitating homes, bringing in new businesses, that's that's insufficient for the social cohesion that we need in our neighborhoods. And you know. I'm 35, so thinking about my peers who continue, African-American, who continue to move to the suburbs, 
when thinking about what drives them, I mean, they are they are looking for community. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we think about how that's been stripped away in many of our in many of our neighborhoods, we have to figure out ways holistically, not just to think about the built environment, but how do we think about people? And I think that the report makes that clear. Um, and in my work, you know, part of that is giving people agency over their own communities, helping them see opportunity. So Anika spoke about opportunity earlier. If you are faced with the trauma of, you know, being a low income um, individual, eviction, housing instability, any of the things that come with not being able to um, have access to, to opportunity, you stop seeing it. Mm. You stop seeing the opportunity that, that surrounds you. Um, and I think that when we, when we consider how we rebuild our neighborhoods, part of that is allowing people to see the opportunities around them and how they connect to it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you said something, something there I want to, I want to go back to this idea of investing not just in the built environment, mm-hmm. but in people. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like that's one of the biggest challenges we have right now in the city because we are starting to see investment in the built environment again, not just in downtown and midtown, but in a lot of neighborhoods that hadn't seen it in a long time. And I feel like in some ways we're missing that other piece that people don't really understand or maybe some of the decision makers don't mm-hmm. really understand that you can't turn the city around just by fixing houses. You've got to invest in creating opportunity for people who just haven't had it. Agreed. I, I had a recent conversation with someone who works in philanthropy on this topic. And just thinking about where where funds go, it's, it's hard to finance a community center. It's hard to finance uh, rehabilitation centers. These aren't things that you could go to traditional financial institutions and get finance. So I, I told the person that philanthropy needs to lead in this space. And I think that that's really it. Understanding that it's not just what resources we give to developers to rebuild homes um, or commercial spaces, but, you know, we really do have to invest more clearly in those kinds of structures that, that bring people together, um, that allow people to see in themselves um the agency that they have over their own lives and over their own communities. And that takes, that takes, that does take funding. Um, but it also takes a true holistic approach from philanthropy, from government, from community development organizations. And it has to be a coalition working together. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. <clears throat> I'm Stephen Henderson. And my guests are Anika Goss. She's the executive director of Detroit Future City. Uh, also with us is Chase Cantrell, the founder and executive director of Building Community Value. We're talking about the recently released report titled Growing Detroit's African-American Middle Class. It takes a look at how much of the middle class we've lost, how much of the black middle class we've lost here <clears throat> in the city of Detroit and tries to point the way forward. What are the things that we need to do or change that will grow the middle class. Um, I want to say something to, to both of you and get you to, to react. And um, and it's something I, I imagine uh, uh, won't come as a surprise to either of you. But uh, I often use the example of my sister when I talk about the lack of black middle class, uh, of a black middle class in the city. So like me, my sister grew up here uh, in Detroit. She's just a few years younger. 
Um, but she stayed in Detroit a lot longer than I did. So like after college, I left and went other places. She came back to go to med school and then uh, did her internship and residency at, uh, at the Detroit Medical Center. So she was here for most of the 90s, which mm. I always say is probably in the 300 and some year history of Detroit, the toughest decade we got through, right? The 90s was uh, when we saw a lot of things just kind of come apart. Um, and so she moved away after she was done and you could not pay my sister enough money to move back to Detroit. Um, she moved <laughs> to, to other states, right? She went to Maryland, and now she lives in Missouri. Um, there's nothing you could do to tell her that life here is worth living. And I, I, I feel like there are a lot of people like that. Those of us who grew up in the 70s and 80s here, um, uh, I, I have so many friends and, and relatives who've decided that they just can't do it here anymore. And I wonder if that's a problem. I mean, it, it, I know it's a driver of some of the stats that are in this report, but how do you, how do you attack that problem? How do you convince African-American middle-class families that they should live in the city of Detroit? So uh, that's that's a really interesting story. And I was here, I was here in the ninth. I moved to Detroit I went to Michigan uh, in 93 and then moved to, uh, lived in Lafayette Towers in 95. <laughs> so I was here in the middle of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, so part of what we do, I'll stick to the report and not my own story about that, but I, cause I can, I can appreciate that because I think in the nineties we, it did feel like it was such a time of transition because Coleman Young uh, stepped down mm-hmm. as mayor mm-hmm. in the 90s and Dennis Archer became the mayor. Mm-hmm. So it was this incredible time of um, testing your commitment to the city, right? So I, I get that. <laughs> as part of this report, one of the things that we did that I think is unusual, at least from our previous reports, is that we spent a lot of time with focus groups. And these uh, were Detroiters of, of all varying sorts. And we described a Detroiter as someone who either lived in the city, who worked in the city, who used to live in the city, or who just liked to come to the city and hang out. You had to know where Detroit was. But other than that, and you had to be middle class. And we in, ended up uh, talking to over 100 people as a part of this report. We... Um, And there were even more people that we turned away that wanted to participate in this report. And one of the very specific questions we asked them is, what would it take for you to move back? Mm -hmm. And they, the the challenges section of the report was, um, really speaks to their response. It was things like, insurance is too high. (laughs) My property taxes. It's this cost of living, the schools. And then some of it was, I, I like my suburban community because the neighborhood is just really nice to be in. And I don't feel like there are enough neighborhoods in Detroit. However, they also said, I want to feel like Detroit is a place where I can enjoy myself and participate into. They also really wanted to be a part of the new activity and growth that was happening, but they didn't feel like they were a part of it right now. So I think that there there are Detroiters, if we are able to focus on place in this one way, 
that makes our neighborhoods competitive for Detroit. Mm. I'm not saying compete with the suburbs. We have to compete with um, ourselves. Like, how do we actually create urban, middle-class, strong neighborhoods so that middle-class families that want to stay? Mm -hmm. So if you're low-income and you actually get a job that's now paying really good money, your option isn't to move out of the city. It's the first thing a lot of people think That's of. That's exactly what they think of, yeah. right? And that, and then also that family that grew up in Detroit, and I know, Chase, you've talked about that a lot, those, that family who had kids in the 70s and 80s and then raised them in Southfield, Farmington, Birmingham, wherever, can say, oh, no, those kids are saying, no, I want to live in the city and raise my own children mm-hmm. in the city. Mm-hmm. We actually have to create our our own city to be a place that would attract those families as well yeah uh chase i you know uh i I think there are there are a number of things going on that create this problem uh but is there is there a a distance between this idea of middle class african-american families who've left and those who are still here i mean is there a distance between um, the way you sort of address the problems. One is about quality of life and and ease of, of of life. The other is about opportunity that doesn't exist. Can we can we sort of simultaneously think of the ways to address those? I, I think so. So for for those in their in their thirties, I'm thinking about friends who either grew up in in the <laughs> suburbs, like Anika referenced, or for for me, just my own story. My my parents. Stayed in Detroit, still are in Detroit, but looked at homes in Southfield and Farmington. I remember, you know, going to look at other <laughs> homes because they're they're they wanted to leave in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that for those who grew up in my generation, there's there's this continued thought that to arrive, you know, financially in life, once I have arrived, I will move to the suburbs. Right. Like that is that is a symbol um, of of progress in life. But I think that those who they're beginning to see that there are things happening in Detroit. But, you know, these are also folks with mobility who have visited Chicago, Atlanta, D.C., other cities with, you know, large black populations. And they're looking for amenities um, for young people that reflect that kind of living. So I think it's up to uh, up to us who are, you know, imagining what Detroit could be to, to think about those kinds of spaces that mm-hmm. reflect the culture that, you know, African-Americans, you know, want to participate in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm talking with Anika Goss, who is the executive director of Detroit Future City, and with Chase Cantrell, the founder and executor of Building Community Value. We're talking about a recently released report by Detroit Future City called Growing Detroit's African-American Middle Middle Class, the Opportunity for a Prosperous Detroit. Uh, Before we end, I want to give both of you a chance to talk about uh, the concrete things that you think we need to do to make this look different in 10 years or 20 years, uh, where are the levers we need to pull? Anika? So what we found in the report is that um, one of the the major issues, I think there's two things. Um, This idea of education attainment and lower wages for Detroiters um, is is a serious issue. Mm -hmm. Like we won't be able to get past it unless we address it. Right. And this is is the fact that uh, even when African-American families or just Detroiters uh, uh, achieve 
uh, in the educational sphere, they still make less money. That's right, than other significantly people. A less lot money. Less, yeah. So than their suburban counterparts. So right. with just to be more specific, what we cite in the report is that Detroiters, regardless of race, with a bachelor's degree, make fifteen to twenty thousand dollars less than their suburban suburban counterparts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that that's something that we have to address, right? And some of it is just how we brought in corporations in Detroit originally, where we were just like, please come and and invest here and do anything do you anything, want, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll give you tax credits. <laughs> right. So that was how that was how we, you know, originally. And when I say we, I mean all of the administrations before. This isn't even addressing the administration now. This is all of the previous administrations. That was the only way where Detroit could really attract corporations. And so they brought their own people. They recruited from the suburbs and other places where they thought where they assumed was better talent. So now we're in this predicament where Detroiters have to move out further and further to find fair wage, mm. right? Or to find a, a wage that's even reasonable for your education level. And it gets, the sphere is even worse. That ca- that schism is even worse the lower the education attainment you have. So dealing with that has to be a primary issue. Mm-hmm. The second primary issue that we need to be able to focus on, and if it's okay, I'm going to give some examples, sure. um, is how we address neighborhoods in a strategic way. And how we do that, it's not just the built environment, and that's, that has to be a critical feature. It has to be really focusing on policy issues as well as investment issues as well as social issues. Mm-hmm. If we want to focus on a neighborhood that has a lot of social problems at, because of high levels of poverty and high levels of crime, high levels of blight, that's not a built environment answer. That's not 28 new housing development <laughs> answer, right? <laughs> that's a lot of different stuff that has mm-hmm. to happen in that neighborhood. And there have been some really great examples of this concentrated effort, this sort of um, comprehensive approach uh, to investment. I think Cleveland and the University Circle is probably one of the best examples. We often pull, like the Evergreen Cooperative, we pull one or two programs as examples uh, from Cleveland. But the program, the initiative in its entirety is a multi-million dollar public private institutional investment and approach from the Cleveland Clinic, the city of Cleveland, and philanthropy and corporations. Mm. That's a whole different scale that we haven't even really addressed in Detroit, but we have the opportunity to really do that. Okay, Anika Goss, Executive Director of Detroit Future City. Always great to have you here. Thanks for having today. me. And Chase Cantrell, founder and executive director of Building Community Value. Great to have you with us as well. Pleasure as always. Up next, Mayor Mike Duggan will soon give his State of the City address. We're going to take a listen to a conversation he and I had at the Detroit Economic Club earlier this year. Stay with us on Detroit Today. Detroit Today.